Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Ephesians chapter 4, where we left off last week in our study of putting off the old man and putting on the new. And actually, we have entered into this in earnest to this new section as we're looking at sort of a tricart, uh, the, our wealth in Christ, our walk with Christ, uh, where we're at now, and finally our war as we war for Christ in the last section of Ephesians. We are talking about walking with God, the church that walks with God. And so let's begin by talking to God. Good idea? Let's do that, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we do come before you, and uh, we've just sung some very affirming songs, lifting up your name, both with hymns and special songs. Um, In my Father's house, there's a place for me. What a beautiful expression, and how encouraging. And here we are, as a as a congregation coming together to worship you, uh, both in song uh, and with your word, your authoritative, inspired word of God. We love you for your word, Lord. It's all we have that affirms everything that you've ever said about yourself and your son, Jesus. And today, Lord, as we look into this business, a plethora of things, really, what it looks like to dress up for you and putting off the things that are not honoring to you and putting on the things that genuinely honor you and draw others to you. Help us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, and we pick it up pretty much right where we left off. But before we do that, uh, in 1975, John uh, Malloy wrote uh, a runaway bestseller called Dress for Success. Anybody remember that? Did you buy it? Did you read it? You don't want to raise your hand because we might judge you as a result of that. Quickly followed by the woman's version of uh, Dress for Success. And and, and there were lines uh, uh, like, you know, when you're going to look for a job, dress like you've already got the job. But it was the Apostle Paul who first gave the church the wardrobe that would honor God. How to dress for success, so to speak. Back to Jason's message last week and the verses preceding the ones we're at, we're reminded we are to put off the old self, that's, that's clothing, literal clothing terminology. That is exactly what the Spirit of God, by the writer of God, the Apostle Paul, wanted us to, to picture. Putting on clothes, taking off clothes. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. So, what's God's wardrobe look like? Well, we don't have to look any further than where we left off, and so here we go in verse 25. Therefore, in the light of that, having put off falsehood, some of your Bibles say lying, it's a more general term, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity, that's That word means place or jurisdiction. 
to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for, some of your Bibles say, edification. The word means to build a house. Building up, well translated by the ESV. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, to some, this is one of those sections where the Apostle Paul is going to meddling, all right? He's really getting into our business here. We, many of us would rather we generalize charges or exhortations like, you ought to live for God, amen? You ought to dedicate your life to God. I'll tell you what. I had a guy come up to me just the other day at a, at a men's conference after I preached, and he said, I need you to pray for me that I, that I would be more dedicated to God. And I looked at him, and I said, in what particular area? And the area he laid out was something I couldn't even mention from the pulpit, but it was specific, and he was humble, and he prayed like he needed to for out of repentance. We don't like people meddling. We don't generally appreciate people meddling. Do you like people meddling? Even with our own choice of clothing. I remember years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 25th year, so I think I'm safe here. Don't try to think of who I'm talking about. But about 20-some years ago, somebody on staff showed up for the umpteenth time with an old faded shirt. It was just as ugly as you could get. I finally told him so. I said, you need to lose that shirt. The problem is I, I had said something to him about that a couple months earlier. So his reply was, I'm tired of you telling me what I should and shouldn't wear. That's the last time I ever talked to him about that shirt. I can carry yet. But I was really following my own mentor. The most encouraging man I've ever met in my life was David Graham. He's still a mentor to me. He was my first pastor. And, uh, I mean, he was so encouraging. I was giddy. I was in Bible college and and uh, I think it was my first year in Bible college, and he was the special speaker in chapel. So he drove down from Cedar Falls to here in Ankeny, and I'm just giddy with excitement. He's preaching in chapel. I'm going to lunch with him, and I'm sitting there across from him, and I got six or seven people all around me, and we're talking and we're laughing, and David's sitting right across from me. He says, well, by the way, I have to put that on pause to say that I, I had this suit my brother had given to me. I really liked it because it fit me really good, and I would describe it as a pastel plaid. <laughs> and, um, and my wife didn't like it, and I said, honey, I'm getting compliments on this suit. And I, then I realized who was complimenting me. That's a different story. So I got this suit on, I'm sitting across from him. We're laughing, we're having a great time. We're in the middle of the cafeteria, six or seven people around me. He goes, hey, Nimmers, where'd you get that clown outfit you're wearing? <laughs> and I went home. I said, I'll never wear this again, honey. Pastor Graham didn't like it. 
see, as I look at this passage, some of you are wearing clown outfits right now. You just don't know it. The suit, the pants, the belt, the shirt, the shoes you're wearing, they're all of those things of a clown. And the brand names are lying, anger, stealing, evil speech, bitterness, bitter unwillingness to forgive. By the way, the very next weekend, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I never wore that suit again, and all I had was a dingy jacket. I had nothing else. It had the, the, that, with the patches and everything. And, and, uh, and I had a guy, I didn't know that had happened in my life. I had a guy... Uh, called me up. Uh, he was a car salesman who went to our church. His name was Dave Heisterkamp. I didn't even know him. He said, hey, Pat, I got to dress nice for my job. And I think, and I've kind of, uh, I, the, I've got some really nice suits that don't fit me. I'd like to just give them to you. He gave me two brand new suits and four jackets. I actually gave two of them away. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because when God tells us to remove our old stuff, he always replaces it with newer Nicer stuff. The Apostle Paul, I mean, the old, the motif, the put off, put on is replete in Scripture. And in the New Testament, Colossians, even in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul said, put off, cast aside those works of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the lust of the flesh. You ever read that? What does that look like? What does it look like to really put on Jesus uh, besides trusting him as your personal Lord and Savior, which I never assume everyone here has done that. If you don't know Christ, that's what you put on Jesus for salvation. Believe that he died and rose again for you and trust him as your Savior. That's the ultimate of putting on. And that's what many of you need to do. So what does it look like having put on Christ for salvation when you put off the old man and put on the new? This is a, this is a responsibility by the Holy Spirit given to each one of us. What does that look like? Well, from the passage, it looks like truth. It looks like self-control. It looks like generosity. It looks like one who builds other people up rather than tears them down. It looks like somebody who keeps short accounts with their offenders. It's beautiful clothing. And when we put on Jesus, we dress for success. And here's how you do it. Dress for success. Number one, I stop lying and start telling the truth. How's that? Dave Brees, now with the Lord, used to, he once said this. He said, hold air this truth before your eyes that all the world is lies and lies. I mean, you live in a culture literally baptized into lying. Do you realize that? It's hard when we swim in that culture to not have the culture get into us. Our entire culture is that way. This is why John said these words, they are of the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. Hey, do you ever see something happen? You go, how could people believe this? Because they're hardwired to, that's why. Satan is a liar. He's the father of liar, lies, that's what Jesus said. And he started out by doing so in the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden. You know the story. There was a survey that was done several years ago 
that said 91% of Americans lie with regularity and some with impunity. 91%. That means I'm looking at some liars out here. And one sense, we're all liars. Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a, I told you, we're all a bunch of liars. MacArthur says, lying and anger are the default postures of humanity. I know, I was a pathetic liar. Absolutely lied about everything when I was young. My dad always caught me in my lies. I hated that. And one of my very first recollections as a Christian was the acute sensitivity and consciousness toward lying. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, sin has many tools, but the lie is the handle that fits them all. And he was right. As most of us know, lying wears a lot of clever, clever clothing, even in the church. Even in the church, in many churches that are otherwise solid and orthodox and believe what you and I believe on paper, they, they believe it on paper, but they don't preach it in their pulpits. Just the other day during an interview for membership, we, one individual basically summarized what many were saying that have been coming towards Sailorville. They're saying the very same thing. The churches that they are coming out of, they, they're nice people. The guy's nice. The pastor's nice. He just doesn't preach all the truth. Let me tell you something. If a church doesn't preach all the truth, if it shirks, if it shuns to declare the whole counsel of God, what is that but a lie? This is why the apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are not like many Peddling the word of God. Have you ever read that? Peddlers. Peddlers of the word of God use the word of God. They do use the word of God. That's the point. They use it. They cherry pick. And it's all a lie. Verse 26, Paul says, don't do that, but speak the truth. It's a present imperative, which means he's not suggesting. He's telling us to tell the truth. No less than a half a dozen times in the book of Ephesians, Paul emphasizes the truth. The most popular one is speak the truth, what? In love. This is interesting. The, the, the word truth is the Greek word aletheia. It literally means, listen to this, it, it literally means non-concealment. And what it conveys is, it's basically saying, I'm not hiding anything. Are you? I struggle preaching this passage because of something Spurgeon said years ago. He said, don't ever preach, he told his students, don't ever preach on two sins or they'll hide behind the one they're not doing. No hiding. No hiding today. Let the spirit of God and the word of God work in concert on your mind and in your heart. We're talking about relationships and primarily within the church. Look at it again, because this is, this, is, this is something that you might just overlook. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of what? One another. This is why we so desperately need community. So they're not, we're not concealing. We're not hiding our sins. If you've been in California, you may have visited 
the mighty sequoias. Like the mightiest tree on earth. They grow 300 feet tall and can live almost 3,000 years and even more. They have very shallow root systems, and actually they're so shallow, they're shallow so they can pick up the moisture which they constantly are in need of. And they shoot out in all directions and actually intertwine with one another. And the reason they do that is because the root system being shallow, there's always the threat that a high wind will knock. Can you imagine one of those beasts falling over? You'd hear that thing fall in the forest. But they don't because they cluster. You almost never see a sequoia by itself. We need one another to call out falsehood in our lives so that we'll speak the truth to one another. Now, like Jason Jackson last week in his excellent sermon, my wife has sent me back to my room on many occasions so that I might dress more successfully. And I don't know about you, but it's usually, it's not the whole outfit. It, it's, it's usually, oh, honey, those shoes. Please, lose the shoes. Or that jacket. Or, honey, burn the pleated pants. Nobody's wearing them anymore. <laughs> but it's usually just one thing. Have you noticed that? It's, it's not... It's not your whole outfit, it's just one thing. And if you wear the one thing, I can't take my eyes off of anything but the one thing. And therein lies the problem when you don't dress for success, spiritually speaking. I can't keep my eye off that area of your life, that falsehood, that lying, that stealing, that some form of dishonesty in your life. I see it. And you know that God does. Secondly, control your anger and be careful who you sleep with. We're talking about dressing for success. And you see it. He says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger or give jurisdictional place to who? To the devil. Now, he says be angry, so he's giving you some permission here. There are reasons to be righteously angry. God is. Psalm 7 says he's angry with the wicked all the time. But he's perfectly angry. I mean, Jesus did make a whip, right? I mean, I don't want you to think, oh, I think I'll make a little whip here while these people are over here. No! He was mad. He was angry. Ours usually is not righteous. Let's be honest. I'm going to venture to say about 98% of anger is sinful. So any of you who think you can concoct righteous anger, I guarantee you it's tainted. I guarantee it. Now, David did say, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. He says later on in Psalm 139, he says, he says, do I hate the wicked? I hate them with perfect hatred. Oh, good on you, David. Perfect hatred, just like God. And God does say in Psalm 97, verse 10, you who love the Lord hate evil. That's an attitude, is it not? And there are, let's be honest, there are a lot of societal things to be angry about, especially the acceptance and the promotion 
of every sexually deviant behavior imaginable. That makes me angry. Politicians and media outlets ignore, they ignore history itself, much less the Bible. I mean, I mean, it doesn't take but a cursory study of history to know why the greatest empire of all time, Rome, died. It was corrupted from the inside out. The church is not a political institution. But we are called to impact the political system that God plops you into. If he plops you into a communist system, into a socialist system, into a slavish, dictatorial system, in a Sharia law system, or one which propagates the greatest freedom any society has heretofore ever known, the one we're living in. He's plopped us into a government that has given us unprecedented freedom to preach the gospel and to oppose the wicked and to appeal to our elected authorities and yes, vote. But lovers of Jesus, be angry, but be ever so careful about your anger. Aristotle, the great philosopher, who by the way started the par- he started the peripatetic school, which is the Greek word for walking. We are talking about walking with God, ironically. He said this, anybody can become angry, that is easy, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. Can we get an Aristotle amen? And by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self, think about the fruit of the Spirit. We say, well, it's the Holy Spirit. Yes, but he imposes upon you and me by his power the importance and the responsibility of self-control. So I go back to Jesus. He did make a whip, but if you look, if you read John chapter 2, when he goes in that temple, makes that whip, he goes through, he does flip over the tables. He is righteously angry, but when he comes to those who are holding the doves in their cages, he says, remove those from here. What does that show you? It shows you self control. And that is what I see so little of in my own life, much less others. Now, allow me to meddle into our marriages for just a moment. Elton John made famous the line, don't let the sun, what? Go down on me, right? That was, wrote that song in the 70s. And God gives us the reason we shouldn't either when we're angry. Be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun set. Go down on your anger or give no opportunity or jurisdiction place to the devil. Who are you sleeping with? By the way, the next line in Elton John's song goes like this. Although I search myself, it's always someone else I see. So, husbands and wives, the next time you go to bed angry with your spouse, unwilling to settle the matter, seek forgiveness or to forgive, 
then just turn ever so lovingly towards your spouse and picture who you're really sleeping with that night. Because it ain't him, it ain't her, it's the devil himself. And some of us have invited him right into our beds. We're talking about dressing for success, so you put off the anger. Three, by stealing, by stop stealing and start giving. We got any thieves in this room? I was. Uh, I was a, um, our wrestling team, wrestling greatest sport that ever was, uh, was notorious for being thieves. I mean, seriously, we go to conferences, or court conferences, that's pretty funny. <laughs> we go to tournaments, and, and the other teams were literally, the, the Columbus wrestlers are here, guard your stuff. Seriously, that's what was going on. And uh, in fact, it was so bad, uh, my friend Pat Gerst and I, were, we were like the principal thieves on the team. And in fact, one time when the cage, the coaches got locked out of the cage. In our locker room, we had a place called the cage. It was steel mesh, and behind it was all the equipment. Didn't matter if it was football, basketball, wrestling. It was all back there, and they couldn't get in. And so they went around looking for Pat Gerst and Pat Nimmers because they figured we could help them get in. I didn't even know how to get in. But I'll never forget, I still have it in my mind, I'll never forget, Pat Gerst goes, well, he goes, well we, we won't hold it against you, just help it. He goes, okay. That thing was about, the ceiling was 20 feet high. He scaled like a spider up, up that, came to a duct work, had a little place where he could bend over the mesh, crawled up, crawled back. I have to tell you, I stood back and I thought, that's impressive. Even I hadn't learned that one. And then I got saved. And as with lying, I had a whole new consciousness toward stealing. And he doesn't say, he doesn't just tell you, remember, if you're putting off something, you have to put on something. Don't just, don't just stop stealing if you're a thief. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. That's what you do. That's what you put on. Just the other day, I spoke at a, at a conference of two of our churches, men's meeting, had a great time, and there, I haven't seen him for quite a while, was our very own Michael Adrian. Some of you know Michael. Uh, the first time I met Michael was at the back door several years ago. He was, he was emaciated. He was, he was completely addicted on drugs. He was shaking like a leaf. He was a thief. He'd just stolen from his dead father two weeks earlier, uh, he was an absolute mess, could care less about anybody else. God saved him. God changed him. He's put off the old man. He's put on the new man. He's working in our refuge. He's sharing. He's helping. And you can watch the transforma transformation taking place in other men because of Michael Adrian. It is a hallelujah. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man? When he, when he comes down and is, and is confronted with Jesus, he says, look, I'll pay fourfold whatever I've taken from somebody else. And it's with that that Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Now, the fact that he, 
He was paying back those he stole from. It wasn't what saved him. But because he was saved, he was willing to do that. He was a changed man. And it's time for us to start thinking about things we're stealing from. My brother Mike did something. It just came to my mind. He did something once. He said, uh, he, he came, he walked into the church he was pastoring at the time. And uh, he said, uh, now look, he goes, uh, we've, we have guards at the door and everything. People go, he goes, I, I don't want to be alarmed, but there's been a, there's been a theft. And people were just murmuring, oh, what's happened? And uh, he said, and then he opened his Bible and he read from Malachi, you've stolen the tithes and offerings. And he let them know, it's thievery when you don't give to God what goes to God. And so when we talk about not stealing, you might want to expand your definition, biblically speaking. Taxes, there's all kinds of ways we steal, and God hates it. Stop stealing. Flip that thing. Start giving. Start helping. Start loving. Start investing in the kingdom of God. Fourthly, speak with grace, not garbage. Here's how I memorized verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed forth out of your mouth, but what ministers grace to the hearers. The word corrupting there in the ESV means putrid. It means rotten. It literally pictures fruit that's starting to collapse in, and of, in on itself. It's disgusting. And if you, it, that's what God wants you to do. When you speak evil, of someone, picture, or say evil, or swear, just picture rotting fruit coming out of your mouth. How's that? Just the other day, I spoke evil of someone, and my wife called me out on it. I never like it when my wife calls me out on things. And I was about to defend myself, because what I said was certainly true, but it was wrong. And I looked at her a second time. I said, you're right, honey. Instead, he says, minister grace, the things that build them up, that encourage, that strengthen, that bring blessing and building. And when you think of that, I think of, I think of guys like Jason Jackson. That's what he does. He is a builder-upper. That's what he does. I thought of this proverb, the proverb says, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. And I thought, this is one of the reasons God has so greatly used Kurt DeGraff. Because he's a man who has knowledge, but dispenses it rightly. That it might give grace to hearers. Isn't this what the psalmist said on the putting off and putting on? He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, literally the Hebrew, the pit of noise. Set my feet on a rock and put a new song where? Where it belongs. In my mouth. And many will see it. They'll see the new dress for success. They'll see it. They'll fear They'll trust in the Lord. Anybody seeing, fearing, and being attracted to Jesus because of what you're wearing? Fifth, don't grieve God. Forgive one another. This is the last part of this passage, and I want you to just take a quick look at it because it's, 
you know, again, we can't, we can't bear down on it any longer than we're afforded here, but look what he says here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you've been sealed under the day of redemption, which was a nice thing for him to do, amen? I think God's greatest grief is when his children refuse to forgive. In fact, I think an unforgiving Christian is the lowest form of blasphemy within the family of God. Mark my words. I think a Christian who is unwilling to forgive is demonstrating the worst kind of blasphemy. That's the reason why stories abound in the Bible of forgiveness. From Joseph, back in the very first Bible or book of the Bible, to three, no less than three parables that deal specifically with forgiveness. And then we have the cross. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve is a very strong word. It literally means to, it carries the idea of deep sorrow. And it conveys the idea of agonizing. If someone says, well, my sin makes God angry with me, you know what I say to them? Oh, no, it's much worse than that. I don't coddle them. When somebody says, well, when I sin, God gets angry with me, I say, no, that it's worse than that. It makes God agonize over you. You're breaking his heart because it's an affront to what you have received in your own life. And this is sort of a chain reaction going on here in this passage, okay? He said, let all bitterness. Picre, it's only used a handful of times in the New Testament. Listen, the word bitterness, yes, I know we've all heard, bitterness is when I drink poison and wait for the other guy to die. I get it, that's good, that's true, cool. It's a lot worse than that. Bitterness, the word bitterness here conveys extreme evil. That's why Paul follows bitterness with wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Bitter people often say and do bad things, right? You ever bitten bitter fruit that you thought looked good until you bit into it? What'd you do? You You spit it out, didn't you? All of this is connected to an unforgiving spirit in this passage. All of it. Look at it again. He says, let all bitterness, and here's the chain reaction, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, what? Say it. That's, that's where he's getting, this is what he's getting to here. Forgiving one another. Terry Trammell said, unforgiveness is one burden that the Lord will never help you to carry. So what should you do with it? Well, here's, he tells you, put it on, put, get rid of that crappy clothing and put on kindness and tenderheartedness and the willingness to forgive. You say, well, that's so hard. It's so hard to forgive. I know it is. It really is. But I'm talking to Christians here. How hard is it? Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. 
forgiving one another. You know, when I was um, nine years after becoming a Christian, I was already into my first pastorate. Things were rolling along. And something I had concealed came out. When I became a Christian, I was burdened by the fact that I had been unfaithful to my wife. I went to a man that I trusted, and he met well. I said, what should I do? It was a couple of years earlier. He said, look, your wife's a brand new Christian. She couldn't handle this information. It's all under the blood. Go on living for Jesus. And that's what I did. But it just ate at my soul. And nine years later, on Valentine's Day, the truth came out. Without getting into the details here, my wife found out what I had done. I had done it 11 years earlier, but I might as well have done it the night before. I absolutely wrecked her in a moment. I begged for her forgiveness for not telling her, as well as the deed. It would be the longest night of our lives, which would turn into the longest and coldest morning of our lives. But she was a Christian. And she went to God. And she came to me. With tears in her eyes, she said, Honey, this is what God showed me today. And she opened her Bible to Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then, then this, as God in Christ forgave you. And she said, how can I withhold forgiveness from you when God has not withheld his from me? She forgave me. And she never once brought it up again. Never once. And God gave us the most blessed and productive and loving next four years before he would take her to glory. Dress for success in the house of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there are some in this room who have never put on Jesus Christ. They've never humbled their hearts and believed the gospel. They've never seen the wonderful forgiveness afforded them on the cross. Jesus dying for them and rising again and offering them, offering them, offering you, you, you that are listening here, you that are watching online. Some of you need to put on Jesus and be saved right now. Acknowledge your sin, repent of your sin, believe in Jesus with all your heart. And then, Lord, we've covered a lot of meddling here. 
otherwise to the, in the house of God. Forgive us for lying. Help us to speak truth. Forgive us for uncontrolled anger. God, forgive us for being thieves. And for some of the things that have come out of our mouths, forgive us. Make us people of grace with words of grace that build up rather than tear down. And help us not to hide behind the sin we're not doing. Because, Lord, it's the clothing we wear that distracts us from you and others that we can't take our eyes off. So help us to remove these things to look more like Jesus, we ask in his name.